We acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on the unceded, ancestral, and occupied traditional territory of the Anishinaabe Nation, the people of the three fires known as Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi Nations. And furthermore, we thank the Chippewa of Saugeen and the Chippewa of Nawash, now known as the Saugeen Ojibwe Nation, who are the traditional keepers of this land. As we live, work, surf, and play, we say mahalo to the Métis, Inuit, and Indigenous peoples of Turtle Island and from around the world who have stewarded these lands and sacred surf spots for thousands of years. We recognize their amazing resilience in the face of ongoing oppression and injustice. We believe that for true healing to occur, we must reflect and make serious changes while working together as we move forward in truth and reconciliation. We can be better, we can do better. Aloha, freshies. Welcome to Permastoked. I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. In this podcast, we talk to surfers and stand-up paddleboarders from across the Great Lakes, Canada, the U.S., and beyond. We take a peek into their lives and find out what it means to be stoked. Is it a natural state of euphoria, elation, a relentless commitment? I also talk to other permastoked individuals, such as artists, entrepreneurs, filmmakers, musicians, philanthropists, yogis, and much more. Join us each week in learning from these experts and enthusiasts while being inspired by their undying passion, insights, and rad tales. Permastoke is presented by Freshwater Surf Goods, your surf brand devoted to spreading the stoke across the unsalted seas and cultivating pride amongst the surf community. We do this by providing products and apparel that celebrate the awesomeness of both Great Lakes and Canadian surf culture. Stand out in the tribe by rocking our gear. But hey, don't just stand around on the beach looking cool. Check out our Stoke Academy and try surfing and stand-up paddleboarding. Get away into beautiful Owen Sound, Sauble Beach, or Grey Bruce, where we offer Paddle Canada certified basic and advanced subcourses, tours, sub-surfing, and even beginner surfing lessons. Visit www.freshwatersurfgoods.com to sign up for your freshwater fantasy today. Want to get your zen on? Check out SUP Yoga and our Great Vibes Yoga, Meditation, and Healing classes. Aloha is a life force energy of loving and living in harmony. Through movement, meditation, and breath, our classes allow you to connect with your true self so you can spread great vibrations and the spirit of aloha throughout the global consciousness. Enjoy community and a chill atmosphere filled with great vibes and sacred ancient teachings delivered with humor and integrity. Should I say happy post Indigenous Reconciliation Ponder Day or National Reflection Day or whatever it was? Um, this Canada Day was super blah. And honestly, I think it deserved to be. Um, I'm so glad that these things are coming to light finally and people are waking up and learning about them. Um, you know, what we do suffer one day of kind of being down when, you know, indigenous people have been being oppressed for, you know, millennia. Um, and, and this isn't even, this is just scratching the surface. I mean, residential schools is one thing uh, and the abuse and the murder and the neglect and whatnot, but there's so much more. I mean, we're talking, you know, treaties made at gunpoint, um, disease spread through 
blankets, smallpox. Um, the list goes on. It's horrendous. Um, and I'm just glad that it's out there and more is coming. All that being said, I'm super grateful that we have the relationships, that things are, um, there's dialogue happening. And I think that's, that's a really positive step. In terms of this episode, I hope I can pick up the mood a little bit because in this episode, I'm chatting with the executive director of Paddle Canada, Michelle McShane, who funny enough at the time, I didn't know would be my boss and about four months later. So I recently took a job with Paddle Canada. My full-time job outside of Freshwater Surf Kids is I'm the executive administrator for Paddle Canada. So super stoked to be in this position, super stoked to work with Michelle. She has just been a fantastic boss so far, very trusting, um, you know, and just a, a delight to work with. So anyhow, listen up to this interview. We talk about the 50 years of Paddle Canada history, its role in the national paddling scene. We talk sup, kayak, canoe, safety, Michelle's love for all things paddling. So hey, this episode was recorded on February 16th, 2021, and it's family friendly. Michelle McShane, welcome to Permastoke. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Right Sitting on. here, watching all the, lots of snow outside today. And now, where are you again? You're somewhere near Kingston, correct? Yeah, I'm in a, I'm about 20 minutes north of Kingston, Ontario, in a place called, our, my town, I don't even have a town, our, our email, our address is Perth Road. Um, so we're just, there's a little tiny hamlet just down the road from us, so. Yeah, so I was looking up on Google Maps. Yeah, it was weird. So the town's name is Perth Road. Yes. So you live on a road in Perth Road. That must be confusing for the mailman. Yeah, people get pretty confused when I have to give my addresses. Like, I live on Shales Road in Perth Road. And they're like, where? In Perth? I was like, no. It's this big historical road. And sometimes we just drop village in there to make it uncomplicated. Okay, cool. And so you're living there, but Kingston is the headquarters of Paddle Canada, correct? Yes. And I think that's just by default. My predecessor happened to live in Kingston. Um, so that became headquarters for the last 10 years. Okay. And I happen to live in the Kingston area. So it, it, it still remains there. It Currently, uh, it's my dining room table and it has been for the better part of this year. Okay, so there's really no official ties to Paddle Canada being in Kingston for any particular reason. It's uh, just sort of happens to be wherever the, the president is, or sorry, the ED. Yeah, so years, years and years ago, um, they had a builder, we had a building in Merrickville, which is closer to the Ottawa area. Okay. Um, and then I think eventually that building got sold. Um, and then soon after that, I think my predecessor started and he worked in, he lived in Kingston at the time. So I think our roots have always been in sort of Southeastern Ontario. Um, but yeah. <laughs> okay. Now a few weeks ago, I was speaking with Dom Domic. He's the executive director of uh, Surf Canada. 
and you are the executive director of Paddle Canada. And the interesting thing me and Dom were joking about was the optics of, you know, having a website and all the fancy pictures and, you know, the emails, like the optics of that seem like this big, well-oiled machine, this operation where there's probably a bunch of people behind the computers doing things. But really, at the end of the day, it's him and, and a few select people who are usually hired out. And I know anytime I ever email Paddle Canada, I'm getting a response from either yourself or from, is it pronounced Paulo? Paulo. Paulo? Okay. And Paulo. Paulo, yeah. So is Paddle Canada a big skyscraper with a million people or is <laughs> it like a little room in the back with two people? It's more like the little room in the back with two people from yeah. an operational standpoint. So we have okay. a staff of two and a half wow. at this time. So myself, Paulo sort of runs member services and administration, and then we have a part-time bookkeeper. Oh, okay. So a small team, but now across the country, what is your reach in terms of the number of instructors and board members and all those kind of things? So we have, ideally we would have one director representing each province and territory. So we have 12 right now in that Ontario is not, or sorry, um, the Northwest Territories is not represented and Nunavut is not represented. Mm. Um, and that those those are just vacant seats. We don't have anybody sitting in those right now, but all other provinces and the Yukon are represented with a board of directors. And then we have committees and numerous volunteers that sit on those committees. Um, and then the directors are all volunteers. So yeah, there's only two of us that are paid staff sort of taking care of the day-to-day -day yeah. and representing the organization, if you will. And then I think right now we have... I think normal years, we're sitting at about 2,000 instructors, wow. um, a little less this past year. Um, it just in that if a member, if an instructor member decided that they weren't going to be teaching or whatever, they might not have renewed their membership. So in 2020, our, our membership from an instructor standpoint was down a little bit. But I think that was a lot to do with, you know, uh, yeah. COVID and people not teaching courses and stuff like that. But um, we're projecting that 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 will pick up and we'll have more members on, be it previous members that are going to renew and hopefully get out and teach this year. And hopefully some new instructors will join the ranks. Yeah, absolutely. So now out of those 2000 instructors, do you have an idea as to what their disciplines are? Um, we are... I think we're probably higher in canoe. I don't mm -hmm. have the numbers in front of me right now. That's definitely Paulo's. He he does all oh, of our yeah. reporting and that. But we tend to be heavier in canoe because it is such a bigger program that we have. Um, and then kayaking, I think, is pretty high. And SUP would follow that. And then we have our camping discipline, which is a relatively new sort of program on its own. And river kayak Oh, okay. which isn't a huge percentage right now. Yeah, yeah. I I anticipated that SUP would be under canoeing and kayaking, though. Well, it's a newer program, too. Yeah. So 
Paddle Canada. So, you know, maybe we'll back up a little bit and maybe you can tell us a little bit about Paddle Canada and its history and maybe lead us into what the mission of Paddle Canada is. So the folks listening um, who maybe aren't familiar can get a better understanding. Um, yeah, so our history, what's kind of interesting about it is we're celebrating 50 years this year, 2021 marks 50 years that we've been uh, conceived, if you will. And some people will talk about 72 being our our birth date, if you will. So in 1971, we came together and it was in 72 that we were incorporated. Mm. And it's interesting. Um, a few months ago, John Eberhardt, so we were sort of, there are two gentlemen that are considered our founders, if you will, and John is still alive and he reached out to me and actually drove down and um, visited me here at our head office back in the summer. And I got to take him through all of, we still have a fair number of archives and our minutes mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. some really interesting photographs of paddlers back in the seventies. Yeah. <laughs> So our roots actually started with him in that he was planning a canoe trip in northern Saskatchewan, I believe it was. And he just couldn't find, I mean, they didn't have internet back then. So he just couldn't find a lot of resources about how to plan this trip, which sort of led him to realize that there wasn't necessarily um, any kind of an organization that was tracking canoe routes or there was he just couldn't find resources so we thought mm -hmm. oh, well maybe I should create something yeah so him and his buddy Ron got together and they sort of conceptualized this organization that they wanted they essentially just wanted to encourage and promote um recreational canoeing mm -hmm. and decided they wanted to be national and found people from across the country to sort of come together and create that first board of directors and I think one of their original plans was was to map out routes and to produce a publication that was going to to offer offer canoe routes and sort of how to and then I think over time it evolved into creating a program that people could teach from so creating standards and creating an educational program and then of course things just kept evolving and at some point in time added kayaking into the mix and stand up paddling and change the name from the Canadian Recreational Canoeing Association to Paddle Canada to reflect mm -hmm. that there were more than just canoes going on. Yeah. And it continues to grow. Paddle sports, uh, I'm sure you anticipate that the uh, the courses could even expand further eventually. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I know I have a friend who is into pack rafting and he has sort of mm -hmm. come to me and said, Ooh, do you think we could ever get something there? So uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. The now, Paddle Canada, it's interesting that you talked about the history being from, you know, someone wanting to have better information around routes and where to go and whatnot, because as far as I'm concerned, that's not really what we do. We are, it's really more about safety um, and education. So, does that piece fit into the plans for Paddle Canada at all? Because I've often thought that too. It'd be, you know, it is a lot of internet research when you're going to a new town or to find a new river or whatever it is. Um, has that ever been on Paddle Canada's radar to maybe track some of that information? 
Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I, to my knowledge, I don't think so, not in recent history. Um, I've just been with the organization for just over a year now. So as you can imagine, every day I'm, I'm learning more. Um, so right now, sort of our, our mission really is to promote and educate and support paddlers. So there's sort of a couple different facets to it. There's the, you know, we have our program and how do we support our instructors to deliver the program? But then there's sort of this other side that is maybe not necessarily seen by our instructor members and stuff where it's how the world perceives us, Mm. um, how other paddlers come to us. So like we'll get emails often with people asking about life jacket and PFD laws or where, who should they talk to if they want to learn more. Um, I, I'm a director with the Canadian Safe Boating Council. So there is a big proponent to, mm. to safety there and how representing our organization and paddlers as a whole. Um, what I'm learning is the boating community is very, very big and that we're a very small piece of that. So I've had some interesting conversations with non-human powered voters and how we can sort of cohabitate. So I'm learning, I'm not always just representing our instructors, I'm, I'm representing paddlers in general when, when people reach out to me. It's oh, okay. kind of scary sometimes. <laughs> what do voters think, that we just get in their way all the time or...? <laughs> Well, actually, no. Interestingly enough, no. Um, I think it's the other way around. I think paddlers feel like the other boaters get in our way all the time. Yeah, like I feel like we're constantly dodging (laughs) them and trying not to get run over. Yeah, sometimes. They're actually, anybody that I've talked to, though, is actually pretty open. And I've had a few conversations and, and I've had boaters be like, oh, really? So when I do slow down, my wake doesn't always get small, smaller and... And so I think there's just an awareness and a little bit of education to both sides. And yeah. Now, now, I was living in British Columbia for the last 12 years. I just moved back to Ontario um, in August. And one of the things, one of the, uh, a student I had in an advanced flatwater course, he also had one of these uh, e-foils. And those are fairly new to the market. So he was out on his e-foil and he was zipping around um, in the harbor there. And anyhow, the it was either the, yeah, the Coast Guard actually confiscated it from him. And this is like a $16,000 piece of machinery. Um, but it turns out that Canada doesn't have any rules or legislation around this type of craft um in the waterways so i'm not sure whatever happened to that so that just makes me wonder with you guys are you guys having conversations with transport canada um or the mto or anything like that um to sort of keep that peace and keep that communication open so everyone is on the same page and up to date on laws and whatnot yeah so Part of the role that I have with the Safe Boating Council, there's, I've actually had some really interesting conversations with OPP and, you know, I've, he, there's one gentleman that I've been in a little bit of chatting with and we're talking about how can we do some cross communication campaigns together um, to alert 
I guess this is more just to bring awareness to your recreational boaters. Um, you, you know how we how we can all get along together out there, if you will. And then the other side is I also sit on the advisory council for the National Recreational Boating Advisory Council with Transport Canada. Okay. Wow. That I've only been to one. <laughs> they have and I think it's annual meetings. Oh, okay. And so the first one I the first one I went to was two weeks after I started this job. So mm. I'm sitting in this office in Ottawa. And I'm like I don't know anything, <laughs> um, but I do know I do know that um, the fellow who had this position prior to me was involved in the conversations with Transport Canada that finally eliminated the bailing device for stand-up paddle boards mm. when there was a requisite that those had to be there. So when SUP first, at least here in Ontario, when it yeah. first really started becoming a thing, um, it was falling under the the same thing as boats and all of the safety gear that they required. And for the longest oh. time, a bailing device actually was still on the list of required oh, really? safety things. That, and it was ridiculous. Yeah. And I think he ended up, he was instrumental, I believe, in, in having conversations at that level to demonstrate why it is unnecessary to have a bailing device on a stand-up paddleboard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then I think there was another one that that we were involved with that maybe got something removed from needing, maybe it was bailers on a river kayaks. That could mm. be wrong on that one, but that was another one. So, I mean, to answer your question, yes, we do get the opportunity to sort of sit at the table and with officials that make decisions who are not on the water paddling, understanding why some of those things don't need to be there. Yeah, so that's great. So thanks for doing that. I'm glad I don't have to carry a bailer with me on my paddleboard. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of, uh, you know, stand up paddlers who haven't taken a course um, might not even be aware of the safety regulations. So for anybody listening, um, so you know, you are required to wear a life jacket if you're paddling. Um, if you're not wearing a life jacket, then you must have it on your craft and you must have a tow rope in your possession. I am correct in that, right, boss? Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that we're trying to, I think that, I think that there's an attempt to get through the, like, to make the leash mandated. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if there's any it's... progress on that, but I think, I know that's another one that some people have been suggesting that it's a highly recommended piece, but it's not a legal piece of equipment. Oh, interesting. I suppose just the leash to me has always been a no-brainer. Like, I just wouldn't imagine getting mm. on any kind of board without a leash. But, oh, interesting. Okay. Leashes, not mandatory, but highly recommended. And, you know, my my opinion on all this and my angle is going to be highly set because I'm really not very knowledgeable in terms of kayaks and canoes and things like that. So maybe tell us a bit about your background, Michelle, and what brought you, what gave you the right to step into the seat of ED at Paddle Canada? You must know a thing or two about paddling. <laughs> Do you want the short version or the long version? <laughs> oh, either one. We got time. Uh, <laughs> we got time. Um, well, it all started, no, it, I started paddling <laughs> as a kid. Um, 
I like to blame it on a boy, but not in the traditional sense. My mm. mom had a boyfriend when I was 11 who was, you know, into the outdoors. And my first, it actually started with skis. He would take a, so I grew up in Toronto. I grew up in Scarborough. Okay. Yep. Um, not, not in a world that I ever thought was going to kind of bring me to where I am, except mom dated this guy. And he took us, he took us on, he used to take us on these ski trips in Telgonquin and, um, you know, their relationship lasted throughout the winter. So the summer rolled around and he started taking us canoeing. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. Oh. And we did it crazy. We would do these backpack or we would do these canoe trips and we would have hockey bags as our backpacks and mm-hmm. carrying potatoes and, you know, washing our hair and jumping in the lake, all the things that you're not supposed to do now. Okay. Anyway, I was in... I think it was in grade school, grade seven or eight, I won this principal's award where I got to go to an outdoor center for a week. And my mind was blown because mm-hmm. all of a sudden there were these people in authority that were teaching me how to paddle. And I learned about the J stroke and why we shouldn't wash our hair and jump in the lake. And so the next trip we went on with the family, I was like, hey guys, we're doing everything wrong. And so my first students were, <laughs> were, were my, my family. I was teaching them the things that I was taught. Anyway, long story short, I, you know, you get through high school, went to college, studied outdoor rec, um, had been teaching canoeing and guiding canoeing for a long time. And then at some point, uh, my husband and I got married, moved back to Kingston, started the unemployed and homeless life <laughs> as newlyweds. Okay. And I figured the <laughs> it was crazy. We moved in with his brother while we figured out what we were going to do with ourselves. We had just come off a, a pretty neat guiding um, job in Algonquin Park, but we figured we should grow up at some. We figured we needed to grow up and settle yeah. down. Or so your husband's like your husband's really into paddle sports as well. Yeah, he he's um, he works with our school board as an outdoor educator, and okay. they do some pretty phenomenal pretty phenomenal outdoor ed program we have in Kingston here and he went through it as a student and then as a staff and now he's sort of in the senior management side of it so oh wow it's pretty Super cool they do it yeah they do anything from overnights in the summer to 30-day expeditions on the coast of Labrador okay okay so you were couch surfing at your brother-in-law's couch surfing landed I figured I needed a job quick and retail was going to be a pretty quick and easy job to get so I started working for a local outdoor shop wanted to keep teaching people how to paddle but at the time no one wanted to learn to canoe anymore everybody wanted to learn how to kayak so I I learned how to kayak and I learned how to teach kayaking so then I started teaching some kayaking and then kept doing that. And then all of a sudden these, these boards came along and no one wanted to learn how to kayak anymore. Everybody wanted to learn how to stand up paddle boards. So I learned how to stand up paddle board and learned how to teach some, some basic stand up paddle boarding and did that for a number of years. And last year, sort of towards the end of 2019, it was just time to make a change we had I've been doing the retail gig for a long time you know bought the house had the kids all the things you're supposed to do but it was just time for a change and this position sort of came across my desk one day and I took a chance and and applied for it career change and it was pretty scary but the hiring committee at the time 
I don't know, they thought I was charming enough or <laughs> there wasn't much competition. I don't know, <laughs> but they chose me and here I am. Oh, wow, amazing. <laughs> so yeah. two questions for you came out of that for me was as the new sports came about, did your love and passion for canoeing just translate right into kayaking and then translate right into SUP or was there ever any resistance or did it all just come naturally for you? It's funny, I was thinking about that the other day um, as I was skiing, actually. <laughs> I can remember the feeling when I first started canoeing and just being like, whoa, this is this amazing new thing. Um, you know, the, the way that you would pull the paddle through the water and the way I could see the shore and be out in the middle of the lake. And like, I absolutely fell in love. Mm -hmm. And then uh, fast forward to that first time I got into a kayak and I was like, whoa, this is even more amazing. Like I'm, I'm closer to the water. I can get closer to shore because the boat was shallower and I didn't always have to have somebody with me. Or if it was a really windy, wavy day, I could, you know, I could do it in, in, a, in a different way. And then fast forward to the first time I got on a stand-up board, which was in April in Lake Ontario. And it was also my first time wearing a dry suit. Mm. And I can remember kind of kneeling on the board and thinking, oh, this is crazy because <laughs> you can feel the water in a completely yeah. different way. And I shakily got to standing up and then I was like, oh my goodness, I'm standing on the water. And the, the grin on my face must have been just huge and tentatively taking a few strokes and then falling off. And then that moment of I'm in the water and it's April and I can't feel how cold or wet it is because I was also wearing a dry suit for the first time. Yeah. Um, so I think to answer the question is I think what I've learned is the love for the paddle period translates from vessel to vessel. And I like sort of being a jack of all trades and master of none that I can really, depending on the conditions, my mood, the time of year, I, I have the ability to, to paddle any of these. And, and that's pretty, that's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, so it sounds like you are definitely qualified. You have the love and the passion there. So for myself, just coming back from BC, though, um, the biggest thing I'm noticing is the paddle season is kind of over for us right now. Everything's frozen. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you do? What do you do when the lake freezes over? Um once it's safe to get out and do so, I ski it. There's a small lake across oh, okay. the house from me. So I'm, I'll take a lunch break and go um, ski around that. But my husband and my sons are avid ice fishermen. Oh, okay. So I am learning to enjoy and love the hard water in that way. So we get out a couple times a week and, and do that. Very nice. Oh, great. What have you guys been catching? Uh, this year, nothing. Oh. <laughs> 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 is it we normally like luck. We, we normally we do pretty good we'll catch yeah. pike um oh. i caught my first couple little splakes last year so they're they're trout uh, okay. that was fun um perch lots of little perch and panfish and some yeah. year i mean last year was a good year we've just had zero luck this year mm, okay wow maybe the fish have been affected by covid too they're staying home they're yeah, they're distancing <laughs> themselves from us. Yeah, they're socially distancing. <laughs> so that transition from 
Now, were you like a shop manager at some point or? Yeah, I evolved from when I started with the shop. So I worked there okay. for, I'm going to age myself a little bit. I was there for 18 years. Okay. And started out, you know, part-time running programs, teaching courses, taking people out and sort of eventually evolved into manager. And by the time I left, I was still doing some teaching and running events and stuff like that. But I was, a, I was um, our head buyer. I bought apparel for a really long time. Oh, okay. So what was that transition like then from the for-profit world into this non-profit <laughs> organization? I mean, that's a bit of a different, that's a switch. Yeah, it was, um, it was a big switch to kind of go from my days being about how to make a buck <laughs> to mm -hmm. now a little bit more about how to save a buck uh, or find money in creative ways, if you will. Um, I think the biggest transition for me was more going from an environment of people around me all the time and constant interaction with people, be it mm -hmm. customers or, or coworkers to suddenly working alone. Um, or with one other person, then of course, when everything shut down, it was truly going to working alone and all of my interactions being email or Zoom based. Um, and that's not, that's, that's been without, that's, that's been challenging. I'm not gonna yeah. lie as someone who is used to and accustomed to people to have days where I don't see anybody or talk to anybody. Yeah, being in a store environment would have been a lot of hustle and bustle and um, mm -hmm. But at the time, you didn't know COVID was coming. And so COVID no. would have really affected your retail operation anyhow. Um, yeah. To the point where it might have been pretty similar where you're not seeing anyone unless they're coming by for curbside pickup. Yeah. So the office that you and Paula are in, is that, are, do you, you guys actually have an office, correct? But you're just working from home during COVID? Is that what's going on? Yeah, so we moved into just last March, like just before this okay. hit. We moved into one of those um, like co-working shared office spaces. Oh, okay. So we had, been we had been renting previously just a small office in the back of an auto shop, actually. Mm. Um, and then I moved us from there into this concept of, of the co-working environment. And my thought process there was, okay, there will be people and we could cut down on different costs. Um, and then of course, then of course we got COVID and well, we didn't get it, but you know, it came, it arrived and the office building back in the spring, they kind of shut the doors and we're like, okay, nobody come in unless you absolutely have to while we were figuring everything out. And then in the summer I was going in, Paulo and I were going in on opposite days because it's a very small little space mm. so that we were keeping that distance. And now that things are open, I was going to actually go in there today to have this conversation with you, but then I got snowed in. So oh, okay. <laughs> we're exploring this idea of do we need to keep doing that or should we just transition to fully operating all of our homes? Yeah, it sort of seems like something like what you guys are doing might not even require an office. No, it's more, we have a lot of things. We have a lot of um, archives. And oh, okay. so if I got rid of the office, I'd still need to take them 
probably a small storage locker. Oh, okay. Uh, my house is very sm- my house is very small, so I can't. Oh, okay. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. I like the uh, native drum on the wall, and you got some cool stuff going on here in the background. Oh yeah, you got the piano that nobody plays. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, my husband, my husband made the drum actually. He took a workshop, I think, here in town. Oh, cool. Um, he does some work. Yeah. He, I had signed up for he's one. He's dabbled of those. a little bit. Yeah, I signed uh-huh. up for a course like that and then it got canceled because of COVID. So that's oh. yeah. Well, fortunately, this was before that. So yeah, yeah. So with Paddle Canada, I'm imagining that the main revenue source is, is it the actual courses that we're running and the fees that we pay yeah, for that? So it, yeah, so your instructor fees and course fees is how all of our, that is 100% our income right now. And Yeah. yeah. So then that makes me think, um, how are Paddle Canada's recruitment strategies going? Um, amidst this time and you know how do you guys navigate that normally like are you where you want to be or um, what are you guys doing to expand or anything like that I mean it would be nice to have either the more members we have and the more courses running then our income goes up so then the what we can offer our members also would go up so Right now, I mean, I inherited this great year of my first year on the job having the year that we just had. So I I mean, I was able to reduce some operating costs here and there. Um, So, I mean, we're good in that we kind of run bare bones. We, We are not carrying debt. We're not, you know, we're not throwing money around or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, trying to, you know, we're working, our, our committees are working on updating our manuals and just sort of making them look a little bit better. The next step would be to continue working on translating them, mm-hmm. but that's not an, inex- that's not an inexpensive endeavor. So, uh. you know, if I, if I had more income, I would be able to offer everything more in, in, in both French and English. So that's sort of, we've just finalized the first half of the sea kayak manual. So there's the second half of that needs to be done. And then just even having a lot of our regular correspondence offered in both languages. So, you know, if we could increase our income in some way, um, that's one thing that I would do with it. Mm. Uh, there are some grants out there that I'm looking into. I think um, Heritage Canada offers some grants in helping with translations, but I think you still okay. have to raise half the cost to do that. So that's sort of on the radar. Um, we did recent, recently just do a nice big change to our main website, and then our members' website is sort of the next task that needs to be updated and made a little bit more user-friendly. Mm. And I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, that, that's good. Um, so, yeah, definitely bringing in more bilingual, um, more uh, French-speaking uh, translation for paddling. I got it. Um, well, I just wanted to say, I guess I wanted to say for anybody listening, just to explain the structure a little bit about how Paddle Canada works is 
So Paddle Canada essentially has skills courses. So anyone wanting to learn, let's just take stand-up paddleboarding, for example. You come, you take a, a basic course. From there, if you liked it, you'd come back, you'd take an advanced course. And then now you have your advanced certification. Now, if you want to become an instructor yourself, you would take a Paddle Canada instructor course and then you could essentially teach those skills courses. And so the way Paddle Canada would, would make their money to keep the system going is you would charge your participants money for the course, but then you would also pay a fee to Paddle Canada to authorize that course. And the biggest benefit in my mind with doing that is that then your insurance is covered. So you don't have to worry about going out and getting your own insurance and things. So did I kind of explain that correctly? That's how I understand it, yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and I imagine it's um, the same thing for uh, canoeing and kayaking? Yeah, same sort of concept. So your course fees and your instructor fees, yeah, insurance is definitely one of the biggest benefits um, from a financial standpoint to instructors. Mm -hmm. And I think the other one that maybe gets lost in translation or maybe you don't, people don't necessarily think about is, let's say you taught a skills course and you ran 30 people through it in a summer, however many numbers, our database keeps all of their information. So then you also don't have to keep your own records of exactly who you've put through your mm -hmm. program and, and all that kind of stuff. So with our database, we, you know, we keep track of everybody's certification. So if some guy needs to prove to his new employee at a camp that he did in fact take a course with you six years ago and he can't track you down, he can still find record of his um, certification through the database. Gotcha. And maybe, I don't know if this is overlooked or not, but maybe just an extra bonus, being a Paddle Canada instructor, the pro discounts are sick. Yeah, I'm working yeah. on, we'll, we'll try to find more too, so. I love that. And you know what's interesting? I've actually reached out to companies before and who weren't on the pro discount. And, you know, I just tell them what I do and I've been able to get the pro discount. Mm-hmm. So I guess it has a good a good standing and a good reputation in the community. Well, and I think the community is key too. Like I've noticed um, even just with this with social media, it, there's a really neat community out there of of instructors that really work together to to spread the stoke or get everybody excited about paddling and they don't necessarily have to be in direct competition with one another in terms of running their businesses. A lot of folks have really figured out a way to come together and, and really just promote paddling um, for the sake of paddling and doing so safely and not for any other reason, really. Yeah. So Emery Bozu would run the sub symposium annually um, in Tofino and so I went there maybe two years ago. And yeah, just like you're saying, um, I was at the symposium amidst what would be conceived, perceived as my competition, like other SUP instructors from Vancouver who either had their own operation or were working for another company. 
And yeah, it was a place where we were all friends and learning from each other. And I will say that about the Paddle Canada community anyway. Um, I really do think that that's a pretty strong characteristic and it's definitely supportive. Um, I know for myself, like tomorrow evening, I have a Zoom call with a past student who wants to become an instructor and so reached out to me to, you know, kind of find out how she could do that and, and whatnot. So, but I think the other important thing to remember too with Paddle Canada is that this is uh, recreational paddling. This is not on the competitive end of things, correct? That is true. We are not producing athletes in the understood way of the world word. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, not not to say that as paddlers, we're not athletes, but we're not competing at any level anywhere. So uh, there's another organization that takes care of that side yeah. of the world of paddling. But you would certainly have some talented people who probably are in the competitive side. Like I know one of my guests a few weeks ago, um, Rita Boychuk, she's quite competitive in the river surfing or in the river sup world and also a Paddle Canada instructor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know a lot of folks that compete and and just paddle for fun. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So COVID-19 obviously really hit us last year. I remember we didn't know what to do. Um, and I don't think we were running courses until was it later in the summer, June, maybe, or? Um, I think it depends. The way we sort of approached it is, I think it was probably end of May, early June, uh, while we were sort of figuring out what, um, what was our responsibility, what was insurance saying, what was, like, there were so many different things to factor in. Um, And I think we, and when I say we, uh, the board of directors and I, when we sort of talked it all out and figured out where to go, we kind of quickly realized that it's not up to us to tell anybody that they can or cannot teach a course because Mm. we're not, you know, we're not a government. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Um, so we came up, we came up with this strat and realizing that we were, we were talking to a group of people that were spread across the country and every region had different, Mm -hmm different guidelines and different things going on wherever they were. Um, so we developed more this, uh, this concept of, okay, first you need to look at, can you operate your business in your, like, you have to look at what your local municipality and what are the local rules are. Um, so it was more giving guidelines to folks. And I think more the answers for you to make for yourselves as instructors, do I feel like I can, offer my programs in a safe way. So that's sort of how we address that. So we we kind of closed down courses for a little while, but it was definitely at a time where courses weren't really happening anyway, because it was yeah. April and May. Um, and then a number of courses still ran out throughout the year. Like I can't, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but we weren't from the year, from how many courses were offered from 2019 over in 2019 versus 2020 wasn't as low like some people thought oh there were no courses running and we were down half we were maybe down 30 percent okay so i think i think what we saw is courses were being run smaller so okay you know people were were teaching courses with two or three people as opposed to six or eight so i think that that's one thing that was happening okay Um, 
And I think lower level courses where you weren't having to get into some of the intricate rescues and stuff like that, that really mean you have to get into each other's bubbles. So some of those higher level courses weren't, weren't running last year. That was sort of the reasoning behind that. Yeah. So for me, I didn't run much in the spring, um, but I definitely went further into the fall this year than normal. Um, but I also noticed, obviously, with COVID was people were sticking around. People weren't allowed to travel. So I found that there was a vast interest in taking both uh, surfing and um, stand-up paddleboarding courses this year. So did you find that at all with COVID? Like, did it also have a bit of that reverse effect where you may have had more interest than you imagined? Yeah, I think we were getting some calls to the office, people looking for courses and not being able to find them because that that demand was there, but there wasn't um, maybe as many people feeling that they could offer courses or comfortably offer courses. And then I know some instructors that were, were like running them all the time or trying to find staff to accommodate this increase in desire. Now, I will say that there were definitely a lot more paddlers out on the water this year, this, mm. you know, this past summer. Um, and I think that that is that, that will continue. Um, people I think who got out and, you know, bought themselves a board or a boat or whatever, and just went out on their own. Yeah. I'm hoping that these are people that will continue doing it. And I'm really hoping that they will seek out advice and courses and clinics on how to do so safely. Cause yeah. You may know there were lots of unfortunate situations this past year with people getting in over their head out on the water because they, you know, didn't know what they were doing. Because so. they didn't follow the three T's <laughs> that, I, that I just saw in the video. Trip planning, training, and, oh, damn it. What kind of instructor am I? I don't even remember the third one. <laughs> Taking the essentials. Taking the essentials. Yeah. Yes. Now, speaking of those videos, what's up with those, like, Paddle of Canada promo videos that are supposed to be set back in time? Like, there's like a 1920s, a 1950s, yeah. 70s, 80s. They're actually quite comical. I just watched them again before this. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what to tell you. That was well before my time. I don't know who I don't know who made them. I don't know what we're supposed to do with them. They are good for a chuckle and and I mean the right messaging is there, but that would just be something. It, they were here when I got here. Yeah, and they don't even really show much on the water action either. Yeah, I think it was all part of were you around when the Paddle Smart program was being created? Um, not created, but I've received, you know, documents yeah. from them and, and whatnot. So I think that those videos were made in conjunction with that project. Oh, okay. Um, All right. Well, I like them. They're pretty funny. They're All just, the time. they're just really jarring from the rest of Paddle Canada's videos and whatnot. <laughs> they're just like, whoa, okay. That was, that was sort of different. Um, now, one of the things I read today on the Paddle Canada website, which I hadn't seen before, was it said that instructors are internationally recognized. So 
what does that mean for us? Does that mean that we are qualified to teach courses in other areas in the world? Or- I think it probably just means exactly what it says is it's recognized everywhere. Yeah. Does it mean you can teach overseas? I think it would depend. I know that we got a note from an instructor this year who is stuck in Mexico and wants to teach courses there and insurance and everything will cover it. So I know that we had instructors in New Zealand just after I started and they had been invited over to a symposium in New Zealand um, to present. Mm. Um, This was in the sea kayaking world. So Again, I think that recognition is, you know, whether or not they were handing out Pilot Canada certifications while they were there, I couldn't answer to you. But I guess that the New Zealand Association recognizes, hey, Paddle Canada has a really good program um, that we can we can learn from one another. So and recognizing, you know, that it's 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 a valid certification and not just a dude from the basement certified me through his association (laughs) of paddle out of my basement or whatever so <laughs> yeah for sure so we've talked a little bit about you know how paddle canada started we've talked about where paddle canada is today so obviously the next part of this conversation mm-hmm. is where is paddle canada going what kind of things can we um, watch for what sort of irons do you guys have in the fire so i feel like right now so when i started um, they had just gone through a new strategic plan session and sort of put together the bare bones of what the direction was going to look like for, at the time it was a three-year plan. And it was sort of one of the first things that I did when I got here was I looked at the, the rough notes from that and worked with the board to sort of put together what that plan was actually going to look like. And then we realized that it needed to be a five-year plan because we were already a year into it and hadn't done anything yet. Um, so I think it was a really interesting learning process for me because it was a really good way to look at where we had come from and where we were and sort of some of the direction that we needed to go. Um, so I think I think it's dialing down a little bit as to what we are um, at the end of the day as an organization. So how can we provide better resources and support for instructors? So that's sort of one thing. And that could be as simple as as getting everything translated. Um, Having our databases and super user-friendly right now. So figuring out how to make that more accessible to instructors. So there's that facet, but then I think, I think it's really about figuring out how to promote paddling to the rest of the world. (laughs) We're going to take over the world with paddles. Um, (laughs) But I think really promoting the sport and bringing more bums in boats in a safe way and putting them through our instructors. So I, you know, you asked me before about what it was like sort of running a not-for-profit versus a for-profit. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because as an organization, we're a not-for-profit, but we're supporting people in the for-profit world. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you teach your courses and you charge for your courses. You you have this, this skill set and you're running a business and you're not running, you're running the business to pay for the mortgage or the rent or the whatever, right? Yeah. So it's this interesting, it's this interesting dynamic of 
we're not for profit supporting a profit, which is fine. So part of my thing is if I can get, if I can help spread the word that people should take courses, then in theory, I'm driving business to our instructors, but also hopefully making the world a safer place for paddling. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting model. I was just thinking that, that, yeah, you are supporting us, but we're just sort of like the middleman because at the end of the day, you, what you really want is people out there paddling safely. Mm-hmm. That does seem like the end goal, sort of safe paddling and obviously, you know, people getting that stoke or that feeling that you got the first time you got in a canoe and and learning that people can embrace that and find fulfillment out on the water. Yeah. And it's neat how even still, this was the first year in a lot of years that I didn't do any teaching whatsoever Mm. and uh, got out and did a lot of paddling and a lot of canoe trips with my family. And it was neat to sort of reset myself and sort of, remind myself what it is I love about paddling Mm -hmm. and reflecting on those times where I was teaching and I take it for granted because I have the means and the desire and the know-how to get out there and do it. And when I would have a new student, you know, finally standing up on their board or figuring out the J stroke or whatever, that, that light would go on in their head and I would get this opportunity to, to see it again for the first time. And I think everybody, everybody should get to, to experience that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I often forget, like, you know, I grew up a block away from Lake Erie. So the water's always been my backyard. I've, you know, started fishing when I was very young. So it's always been a part of my life. But it all it is always a wake up call when you start a course and you get that person who's on the board and they're freaking out and they get to their knees and like they run into the rocks or something like not everyone is comfortable out on the water. Mm-hmm. So it, it is really interesting just to see people coming from those different places and watching um, them evolve and, and their skills evolve as well. Yeah, it. I know I've often wondered that too. What is it that I love so much about teaching? Why is it so fulfilling? And I think for me, I just, at the end of the day, it's just being able to do what you love um, and being paid for it is a bonus. Um, but there's some <laughs> kind of thrill out of seeing others do it as well. And I think when you are out paddling on your own and you see somebody else, you have this instant connection to that person, even though you don't know them from Adam or you can tell by watching them, you don't know what you're doing, but you have this, this immediate little connection that I, I don't know that another breed of people get (laughs) if you're not a paddler, if you're in a different world, I don't think you get that same, that same thing. Yeah, anytime I'm out on the water, paddling, surfing, whatever it is, it's definitely this sort of like tribal experience when you're with other people. Um, You kind of share this special bond. Okay, so Michelle, before we go, is there anything that you want to tell the audience, um, encouraging them about Paddle Canada or to get out on the water or anything like that? I think if you're 
If you're listening here and you're not part of the Paddle Canada community, I would encourage folks you? to jump on the website and I know, right? Come and come to the dark side. <laughs> come be part of our pack. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think I think just have a look around at the website and and I encourage you to seek out paddlers in your area. Um, and and look in look into courses for sure. I think safety, like that's a common thread we've talked about a lot. Um, and I don't know if you're not paddling, you should be. Yeah, absolutely. that was such a lame a lame send off. I got nothing. <laughs> it's fine. But it's a good reminder: the water is uh, a wonderful place to be, but it can also be uh, dangerous and can have a mind of its own. So safety is pertinent. Um, and for those of you just jumping on a board without any thought, the great thing about a Paddle Canada course is you're not just learning the skills. We also teach you about some weather forecasting and um, some trip preparation and things like that, that that should keep you safe and keep you from finding yourself in those sticky situations. So you mentioned the website. Um, so people can uh, learn more about Paddle Canada at PowCanada.com, I believe. What is yep. this, sorry? Did I get it right? Yeah, you've got it. Okay. PowCanada.com. PowCanada <laughs> and now any uh, any social media or anything people can find Pal of Canada at? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, easy to find, Pal of Canada. Okay, perfect. Paddle Canada. And <laughs> I believe uh, and Paddle Canada does have a store as well, right? If people want to pick up any kind of swag of any kind. Yeah, hold on. We're working on that. Um, Going to change up the format a little bit. So keep an eye out in the next few weeks. We're going to do some pre-orders. We're going to make up some mocks and make some hats and things like that and do it more as a, of a pre-order thing. Um, cool. Get the logo All out right. there, especially the new, the new, the new uh, 50th logo that we're just running for this year. So yeah, pretty going to cool. build some stuff based around that. Congratulations, Michelle, on 50 years of PAL Canada. Thank you. I'm only which, one of those. Things, but. <laughs> I was going to say, of which you have been <laughs> integral to one year. <laughs> one year. But, but, but in your history, though, like as the store buyer and all that thing, all that stuff, and you were instructing, were you certified through PAL Canada throughout all that time? No, I was not, actually. Oh, um, well, <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. It wasn't a prerequisite of the job or anything. Um, no, no, my certs, my certs were with uh, the provincial with Orca. Very cool. Well, Michelle, it has been a pleasure having you here. I'm stoked that you could join us. We all uh, know a little bit more about Paddle Canada now, and we encourage everybody out there to to. Go to powcanada.com and you can search up the courses in your area and get out there and learn how to do it safely. And it's not just paddleboarding, we're talking kayaking and canoeing. And and what is the, maybe just before we go, what is the camping course all about? Ah, so the camping course is sort of a, maybe a spinoff, if you will, from our canoe tripping program. So we had a pretty extensive tripping program certification and I think 
within the last few years, they realized that there was a lot of really good content in there that would transfer over to kayak tripping and sup tripping. So basically all of the uh, curriculum was pulled out of canoe tripping. That certification was put away. And so then now there's this camping one and you can teach it sort of as an a la carte. So you could teach a you know, a basic SUP class with the camping add-on. So then it's giving your students the tools of how to be, how to be in the back country. So you learn kitchen skills and tent setting skills oh, cool. and stuff like okay. that. Um, and I think there's a few different, like you can learn basic, more sort of front country stuff. You're camping with your car versus getting into the back country or even getting into expedition. And then if you're getting into guiding and stuff like that, so then you'll talk about group management and, forecasting and route planning and stuff like that so it's new I think it's only been offered as a standalone for this might be coming into our third season okay that we'll be offering it so I don't have a lot of information on how it's been received because it's still pretty relatively new but yeah that's yeah that was the idea behind it I imagine it's probably pretty popular amongst the touring crowd the kayak tours and sub tours yeah um so with SUP, for example, we have three streams, I believe. We have river SUP, we have uh, SUP surfing, and we have touring. Well, I guess you could say a fourth would be just regular flat water paddling. Um, what are the disciplines for the other ones I'm not as familiar with? So kayaking, for example, what are the, if I wanted to take a kayaking course, is it just general kayaking skills or what are the divisions there? Um, so there's your general sort of just sea kayaking skills and there's four levels there, um, four skills levels and then into your instructors. And then there is a, like a surf, um, I think, I think so. I okay. should double check that. I should know. I should know it's way better. Um, <laughs> the answer is always there on the website. I don't have to. Yeah, keep absolutely. And By year canoeing, two, you'll know Canoeing, everything. there's tons. Is there? Okay. You know the ins and outs. Huh. Oh, yeah. Canoeing, there's lake, there's like lake water, moving water, coastal, pulling. Um, yeah. Well, and I know most sub-courses you can do in a day, um, whereas like mm -hmm. these kayak courses, I mean, some of these are, they're like, what are they, weeks long or like they take longer? I know that. How, um, how do they work? Yeah, they take longer. Well, and I think it's just a different, there's different skills and different conditions and... I don't want to say it's harder because I don't want to offend anybody here, but <laughs> yeah. I think, I think just the demands and the technical demands and it's a, it's an older program. So, you know, it goes to a reason that there would be four different, four different levels and they're also addressing all kinds of different conditions in them. So in a sea kayak level one or basic, like you're primarily just down on flatter water and then some of the, the higher skills have to do with, with bigger water. And getting into, you know, if you're getting into surf and currents and stuff like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I first became an instructor, I came into stand-up paddleboarding through surfing. So I was surfing first, had an injury. And it's like, now what am I going to do? 
Um, and so stand-up paddleboarding has been this nice sort of, um, you know, tool for me to, to heal up and, and improve my surfing. But I came in as a surfer with a surfer's mindset. Um, so I'm really like about the thrill and the Zen of it all. Um, but then you're thrown in this crowd with a bunch of kayakers and it is pretty interesting because now all of a sudden it's like, Whoa, things just got really technical and very sciencey. Um, and there's some pretty passionate people in the kayak world. That's for sure. And if I were to go out yeah. with, with anybody on a tour, it would, I'd want to go with an experienced kayaker because they certainly have a lot of knowledge. And I just want to hit those waves and ride them in. All right, Michelle, it has been awesome talking to you. And I wish you all the best in your time with Paddle Canada. And uh, thank you for what you're doing and for, you know, keeping the ship going straight, especially during these COVID times. And uh, I hope to see you again on the show some other time. But in the meantime, stay stoked. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Just like you said it would be. <laughs> awesome. Good. I told you. Nothing to worry about. Can you believe we've done 33 of these things? I mean, that's three times 11. That's how many of these we've done. 11 times three. This is season two, episode nine. I can't even believe it. And you're still listening. So thanks for being there, folks. Mahalo, my friends. I mean, what a pleasure it is speaking to you and sharing the lives of my awesome guests like michelle mcshane my new boss she rocks what a great episode michelle thanks for sharing your passion with us and you really do deserve to be in that position um, representing paddling on the national stage so thank you for the work you're doing and continue to do mahalo to all you listeners out there you can connect with Michelle and myself or Paddle Canada, whatever you want to call it, on social media at Paddle Canada. We'd like to give a big mahalo to Mark Malibu and the Wasegas for providing our intro music, Hey Chihuahua, off their 2019 album, Crash Monster Beach and our outro music, End of Summer, off their 2017 album, Return of the Wasegas. For more information, visit www.wasegas.com. Mahalo to the Planet Smashers as well, and Stomp Records for allowing us to play Surfing in Tofino, off their 1999 album, Life of the Party. You can visit them at www.stomprecords.com. And to the Scrapes, Mahalo for providing Wait and See, off your 2018 self-titled album, Scrapes. For more information on Scrapes, visit www.scrapesmusic.bandcamp.com. But of course, mahalo to all you great listeners out there. We are so thankful that you chose to join us for this episode, and we look forward to providing you with even more awesome content in the future. More episodes are certainly on their way, but in the meantime, make sure to go back and listen to our previous episodes. And don't miss an episode ever again by subscribing on the Alexa app, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Podbean, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or wherever it is, man, that you get your podcast, we are there. So please let us know how we're doing. Leave us a rating and a review. 
And don't forget to share this with your friends and family over social media or by spreading the word in the lineup. You can learn more about Freshwater Surf Goods and check out our products and services at www.freshwatersurfgoods.com. You can even sign up for our newsletter so you can stay up to date on new products, new episodes of Permastoke, events, our surf sup and yoga schedules, and other exciting news. And hey, you can even find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at Freshwater Surf Goods. But if you're a part of the surf or sup industry, or a surfaholic wanting to connect with your tribe and stay informed as to what's happening all across the Great Lakes and the Canadian surf scene, then join our Facebook group, the All Canadian Surf and Sub Club. And as well, if you've got an idea for a collaboration, you'd like to recommend a future guest, you'd like to invite me to an event or book me to teach surf, sup, or yoga, or maybe you want to carry our products in your store, or your company is interested in being a sponsor of this show, or for anything else, hit me up on social media or email me at Derek at freshwatersurfgoods.com. That's Derek, D-E-R-I-K at freshwatersurfgoods.com. I look forward to next time, Freshies, and getting to know you all better. In the meantime, I'm your host, Derek Hyatt. Mahalo, keep surfing, and stay stoked.